0: We pray that as you listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Seeds Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225 274 1607. Or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word.
1: See what, before we get started, let's get to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We, we just thank you for everything you've done for us, Lord, and the great things you're going to do. Father, we just up Pastor Philip now, Lord, I just pray that you anoint him. Be up on him as he ministers this afternoon, Lord. Just, I just ask that lives be touched and changed, Father. Move in a mighty way in this service also, God. And just let us come to know you in a new, a new way, Lord. I just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning once again. This morning, I, just, I want us to talk real briefly about what we'll call the Fellowship of the Believers Church 101 you know, when you're in college, basically, you know, the, the beginning classes are one-on-one. But the thing is, is that the early classes, the beginning classes, that's where you get all of your foundation at. That's where you get things where you're rooted at, where you're grounded at. Why don't we turn to, we're going to look at two main chapters, two main scriptures today. The first chapter is going to be the second The first scripture will be the second chapter of Acts, beginning with the 42nd verse. And here it goes. They devoted themselves to talk about the, the believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave the apostles as he he had need. They gave anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to the numbers daily those who were being saved. That is New Testament church right there. And that, that's exactly what we are also. We're New Testament church. For the last several weeks, what's been happening here? The Lord's been given the increase. We've been actually, Pastor Phillips been talking about the blessed life. And the blessed life is, is the people have been blessed, but also the church is being blessed by more people coming in. And that's, that's exactly what this is. This, the church, thank you. The church is a living organism. It's something that goes on. It's not something that's dead. It's something that's alive. You either either go forward with life or it's not even stagnant because if you're stagnant, you're dead. And that's what we are. God wants us to continue to move forward. And what I want us to look at this morning is just a few things. I want us to look at the makeup of the body, which is us, the church, and also the mission of the body, which is also us, the church. If we look at verse 42, there are four things about the early believers, four things they devoted themselves to in that, in that verse. It says they devoted themselves to, one, the apostles' teaching, two, the fellowship, three, the breaking of bread, and four, the prayer. The early church leaders had a personal experience with Jesus. The message with Jesus, everything he did was Christ-centered. Everything was based around Jesus. It was nothing else. It wasn't all the fancy things that we, that we see on TV or the things that we hear, you know, the TV preachers and all talk about. It was, it was Jesus. And that's what, see, that's what will see us through. That's what will change our life. And that's what will change lives as ones we come in contact with is Jesus, nothing else. It's nothing else. We can't give him anything else. And what else does it say? As we go down, it says, the number was added daily, those being saved. Souls were being saved. Lives was being changed. And not only that, an impact was being made on the people they came in contact with. And you know what? The people that they came, the apostles came in contact with 2,000 years ago, that impact is still going forward. Because of that impact, because of the things that were said then, because of the lives that were changed then, that is exactly why we are here today. That's why we're saved, because the word went forward. The word didn't stay still. The word went forward. The message of early church believers heard as we read the book of Acts is the same message that's taught here each time the doors are open. It's not, it's nothing but Jesus. When we, the children's church, where they talk about Christ, the, the youth, you hear from this, the women's ministry, every other ministry, project, everything is Christ-centered. And that is, where, that is where the world is impacted, when we be a church, when we, the church, reach out and we touch others through the gospel, which is Jesus but the thing is, it's our decision to take to take the messages we hear. We can either take it and hold it for ourselves, or we can apply it to our life. And once we apply it to our life, then other lives will be changed. Another thing that also is important that I want us to think about is our personal, the personal time that we that we spend in prayer and studying Scripture on our own. Time that we're away from here, very important. <clears throat> I have something here I want us to go over. I want you to just think about what's getting ready to come up in a few weeks. Football, LSU football. So what have they been doing for the last last several weeks? They've been studying, they've been preparing, they've been practicing. And according to the NCAA Division I manual, student athletes cannot spend more than 20 hours per week practicing their sport while in season with a daily limit of four hours, eight hours per week during off-season. Each athlete is expected to, end, to keep an individual record of how much time they spend in official practice and workout. So what does that say? That the, the college football player spends 20-plus hours per week practicing for what? A three-hour game. So here he is, 20 hours a week, practicing for just a small time frame, which he's actually going to be on the field in a game. But then think about our life. Think about, think about how we do this. So, that, so let's see. The first thing is, think about this. We never have an off season. Being a Christian, there's never an off season. You're always you're always in the battle. You're always in the fight. It's constantly going on. There's no there's never any downtime. We come to church what two hours on Sunday, two hours on Wednesday. So here we are, four hours, we've actually come in and prepared ourselves in this, getting ourselves ready for what? 168 hours in a week. So the student athlete. What does he do? He, he practices this much time for just a small time that he's on the field. But we, in turn, come here, we practice a small amount of time for everything we go out. Is there something out of whack with that? I mean, it's, it's, very, it's very, very messed up, very distorted. What we have to do, it says the amount of personal time we, we would call a voluntary time we spend studying and praying varies. Personal time with the Lord is necessary if we are to make it as a Christian. I want to challenge each one of us just to write down the amount of time, Bert, the amount of time we spend with God preparing for the battle that we're up against. First, the actual time that we spend doing other activities. So right off the bat, the first thing we can do is eight hour, at least eight hours a day we're working. So th- that right there, that's a huge block that, that's just that we can't do anything about because we. I mean, you can be out there, you can have your mind on God and doing things like that. He wants us to do that. But it's not totally concentrated on nothing but him and furthering his gospel right there. The apostles' teaching moves our heart to reach others. Jesus stated in Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples of nations. We are called to reach out to others. That's why we have the various ministries here. That's why we have angel food. That's why we have. Nur- that's why we go to the nursing homes. That's why we have project outreach. That's why... The various activities we had lately for kids on Friday night is to reach others. Jesus called He didn't call us to sit. He called us to be a, to reach out. He called us to go forth to make disciples. And we got to do that once we leave out of these doors. That's when we actually go forward right then. Acts one eight says, But you will receive power when the when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. What did Jesus say? He said, "You will receive power." Everyone in his presence right then that he was talking to was receiving power for them. He also said, "You will be my witnesses." So everyone right there that was that was in voice, that was in hearing distance of him heard him say, "You." They were the ones that he was talking to. But not also, not only that. He's also when he spoke to you and he called you to be a Christian. When when you gave your heart, he also called you at that point in time. He said, "You will be my witnesses." You will be the one that goes out. Everyone now has him in their heart will be my witness. And what I want us to think about this verse in Acts 1.8 is that of a ripple effect. Because what does it say? You'll be my witness is in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. And this is something that i never heard this before. When I saw this, I was thinking about this. I said, you know what? This is just like a ripple. It says, think of this as ripple effect evangelism. Have you ever thrown a rock in a pond or a lake? And when you do that, what happens? The ripples go out. They continue to go out. They don't, when the rock hits, it doesn't just stay still. It moves out. And then I was doing that, I said, you know what? Think of this. The rock, Jesus. So, hey, Jesus, when he makes an impact on us, just as we throw a rock in the lake, it's going to move out. It's not going to stay still. The water's going to move. The rock lands in one spot and a ripple goes out from there. When Jesus lands in our heart, He ripples out from there. In Jerusalem, have you ever thought about this? Jerusalem is the people that you come in contact with. Each one in this room has their own Jerusalem. Because everyone in this room knows people that the other people don't know. I mean, I come in contact with people in my lives that you'll never, ever see, that you'll never, ever meet in your life. That is my Jerusalem. My my neighborhood, that's my Jerusalem. And then as we reach out to them, those people... They have their own Jerusalem also. So as their lives are changed, then their Jerusalem, the people that they know, that will reach out from there and it will go forward from there. That's how a world is impacted. That's how it happens. It's, but it's got to start somewhere. And it starts with each one in this room. It starts with each one of us. This is where ripp- Ripple evangelism begins. You are not... Listen, let me go on down to here. The spreading of the word goes from there. The ripple travels outward... And it's to to the ends of the earth, just as Jesus called us to be witnesses where we are. Last fall, it's been almost a year now, October 2009, Parade Magazine had a, had a thing that the magazine comes out in the Sunday paper. There was a, a thing in there about how spiritual are we in America. And this is just something I, I, I've, I've kept this in the back of my head for a year. And it's like this is just something that really that's, I think we should all be bothered by. It said, how often do you regularly attend religious services? 3% said every day. 27% said once a week. Once a month, 6% said once a month. 14% said a few times a year. 30% said rarely. And 20% said never. So think of that. Out of the people that were surveyed last year, 70% of the people that they talked to attend church, attend a religious service, Twelve or less times a year. That's very sad. That's, that's very sad. And, but what, that, That's sad for them, but the thing is, that gives us an uh, opportunity to reach out because there are so many people that need to hear the gospel. So think of it like this. When you're in line at Walmart and you're standing in line, and we all stand in line because there's never a quick line. There's no, nothing quick there. When we're in line, seven of the people around you don't regularly attend church, don't regularly go to a church service that right there, that is your opportunity not to get mad at the cashier because of messing up on the person in front of you, but that is your opportunity to for that to be your Jerusalem right there because you may be able to say something encouraging to one of those people. You may be able to share something to one of those people that they've never heard before. So take every opportunity that you have and use that as your Jerusalem. Use that to reach out because, as I said, that's, that's a huge percentage. Seven out of ten people don't normally... Attend a church service twelve or less times a year, and that 's a huge huge percent also I want to give you a brief story about how, how far reaching your sharing the gospel can go. Let me ask you has ever anyone in here ever heard of a man named Edward Kimball? you have okay good all right this is not now this is not Mr. Kimball and Greenacres, and this is not Richard Kimball off the fugitive Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball, this was back in 1855, Edward Kimball, was he was a Sunday school teacher in Boston. He had a chance to, to speak to a young shoe clerk about, about Jesus. This young shoe clerk, his name was Dwight Moody. Dwight Moody became an evangelist, missionary pastor, and founded a Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Twenty-four years later in England, in 1872... While there as the evangelist, God used Moody's message to stir the heart of the pastor of a small church, but whose life with Christ had nearly died. The man's name was F.B. Meyer. By 1895, F.B. Meyer's church of 100 had grown to over 2,000. Then F.B. Meyer, while preaching on an American college campus, introduced a young man named John Wilbur Chapman to Jesus Christ. Chapman eventually became a pastor and evangelist as well, when preaching many times alongside Dwight Moody. The man, this man, okay, for preaching something. The man who introduced to Jesus, the man who had introduced him to Christ. Then Chapman, working for the YMCA, happened to employ a former baseball player to to hold a series of evangelistic crusades. That was Billy Sunday. All right, 1934. Billy Sunday had a series of revival meetings in Charlotte, North Carolina. Afterward, a group of local men were so enthusiastic about what had happened during Sunday's meetings that they planned to hold another evangelistic campaign, bringing a man man named Mordecai Ham to town to preach. During Ham's meeting, a young man heard about Jesus, that he had stepped out of heaven so that he could step into his heart. Do you know who that young man was at 16? That was Billy Graham. Billy Graham. So that right there shows that when you go out and when you share the gospel, you're, it can be so far-reaching. We don't know what the impact is going to be. You may not immediately see the impact, but it's there. And just, just remember, your words, the word that God has given you to give to someone is not going to return void. It's going to go forth. It's going to go forth with power. Because think about it. Billy Graham has preached to millions and millions of people. And there's probably someone here that's actually been saved. Or you know someone right there that has been saved through his, his, his life. Lives have been touched. Millions of lives have been touched. So see, we've got, we've got something that we can do. When we share it with just a young shoe clerk, someone at Walmart, whoever it is, you may not know. You don't know what's going to happen, but God does. God's got it all planned out, and God's going to use that to reach out and to touch this world. All right. The second thing I want to look at in verse 47, I mean 42, it says, They devoted themselves to fellowship. When we think of fellowship, what do we think about? We think of our church. Immediate thought that goes through our mind is what building we drive to on Sundays and Wednesdays. But God's got, God not only has that as the, the church, but the New Testament church is much more than that. The New Testament church is us. It's the body of believers. It's each one in this room. The church is made up of God's people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, Paul, Paul said what God, what God decided to do with his people, the believers. God said, I will live in them and move among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. The church is made up of God's people. They belong to him and he belongs to them. But you know what? It's not just that. He belongs to you and you belong to him. That's something that hits close to home right there. He is your God. He's a personal God. He's just like, he's not removed as other, as things are removed from us. But he is right there. He's for each one of us. In the Old Testament, God did not adopt as his own existing nation, but actually created a people for himself. It says, in the beginning, God created. Just as he created heaven and earth, he created people. He chose Abraham. And through Abraham, he brought into existence the people of Israel. In the New Testament, God also chose a people. Which, but those people are you and I. He chose Jew and Gentile. It, it doesn't matter who we are, what we've done, what we've thought, or anything like that. He chose each one of us. And all we have to do is say, just say, "Jesus, I want you in my life," and that—that's all it takes. The churches are people called out, called out of the world into God's kingdom, summoned together to be the purpose of work summoned together for the purpose of worshiping God and being the visual representative of God to those around us. God provides care and protection to His people. He expects that we will be His people without reservation, without dividing our loyalty. God requests that we be totally sold out to him. When he said in the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, he also at that time implied there's not to be any gods after me. When we go into the New Testament, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I'm the, I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega, I'm the First, I'm the Last. But also, with being that, he's also everything in between. So there's nothing else that's needed other than Jesus. As long as we have him, he's going to see us through whatever we're going through. We don't have it. I mean, we may have the worries that we make it set, but what we have to say is remember is who is, in control, who is in control, who is in charge of our life, and who is in charge of seeing us through that situation? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. One thing I also want us to think about is that as we're going through that, that he has already faced that because, as I said, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but also he, he already knows what we're going through, so he is actually preparing you today for what you're going to face tomorrow because he's already in our tomorrows and he's going to see us through that we just have to rely on him and trust him that he's going to do that and not let the distractions of the world come to us because they're going to come and we're going to get blindsided but don't don't let that get you down because he's going to see us through paul identifies the church as a body one body made up of many parts each one working together and the next, ver- the next real scripture I want us to look at is First Corinthians, the twelfth chapter, beginning with the twelfth verse, through the verse twenty-six. If to turn there, and in this, Paul actually goes into explanation about how the the, the church, being us, or a body, and we're put together. For the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though the parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized with one spirit and one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. For if the foot should say, because I am am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lack them. So that there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part of the body every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That is how, that's how the Holy Spirit gave it to Paul how not only the body is made up, our body I mean it's supernaturally made up, but also the body of Christ, each one of us, each one of us in this room, no, there's none that's alike in here. Let me see here. Right. God has supernaturally put our body together in a special way. Each part of the physical body has specific functions. Every, everything from the sole of our feet to the hair scalp on top of our heads, God has designed our body to function together as a working unit. Many parts of the body don't look like the other parts. Our eye doesn't look like our kneecap, but it's important. It has, but each of our important. Has specific functions are the functions given to them. Some parts may resemble others, but they in themselves are separate. Look at your hand. Your thumb and your, little, and your pinky finger are similar, but at the same time, they don't do the same function. They each have a specific function for them, and that's the same way that God has us. I mean, we, some of us may look alike, some may, some may not look alike, but God has put us together for a specific reason. He's given each one of us special personalities, special, special gifts. I mean, He has given that. it It would be so boring, so dull if we were all the same. But because we're different, God can use the uniqueness that He has placed in each one of us to reach out. He can use that to touch others, to change lives. And that's what He wants to do. He wants us to be one unit, one body, and for that just to reach out to further His kingdom. God has specific ministry for each one of us. And He wants us to use those gifts to further that ministry. God didn't call us to be an island in ourself. Paul stresses the dependence on each believer. In Ephesians four sixteen, from him the whole body, joined together with each supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up as love, and each part does its work. In Hebrews the tenth chapter, verses twenty four and twenty-five, it says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage each other. Has anyone ever ridden a horse before? I know that Sherry and Rich have. We want to talk about that. Okay. Have you ever, when you've been on the back of the horse, did you ever spur that horse? All right. When you spur something, does it sit there and just it just stands still and like, what are you doing? That's it. It's going to take off. It's going. And that's what. That's why we come together. It's not to rub each other the wrong way, but we to motivate, to to actually to encourage each other to do that. The spurn is the motor motivator that moves us that moves quickly. Our meeting together is a motivator that is used to move us with each one here toward loving good deeds. We need to regularly attend church to give and to receive that encouragement. I know there are so many people that you can hear and it's like, you know, I really don't need to go to church. I, I don't you know, I've got I've got my own thing, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I really don't want to, you know, attend. Where is their motivation at? Where's the motivation to the good deeds? What is actually spurring them on? Because you actually it says iron sharpens iron, and that happens when we come in contact with each other, when we're right there with each other, when we meet together is this, when we have our fellowships in the back that on the first Sunday, that we get to bond together, we get to become as a unit, become as one. All right, I think Pastor P has said this numerous times. You don't have to go to church to be to get saved. But you need to go to the church to remain saved, and that's a very true statement. Church, and also he said, church is not an option; it's a must for a Christian, and it is. It's very important that we attend church. It's extremely important. All right. The third, the third thing the apostles devoted themselves to back in Acts the second chapter, to the breaking of bread. This refers to a couple of different things. One thing it refers to is communion, the Lord's supper, which is also something that we do the first Sunday of each month. Have you, have you? heard as i've gone through some of this stuff how that the new testament church was doing various things and if you look what are we doing follow the example of the new testament church because that's what we are we are the new testament church we're, look, we're we look to the book and what the book says that's what we do we don't bring the other things in the word of god is what is that's that's our guide right there the word of god communion what when it says we remember what, when we take communion we remember what Jesus has done for us. One place I read, which I had never heard before, and maybe someone has, is that the communion we take is actually a sermon for our eyes. I never thought of it like that before, but from now on, when I, when I take it, the next time I take it, I'll think about that. I know we've taken it in remembrance of what has happened, but it's like a sermon. We visually see it. You know, I've always taken it spiritually, but it's like a visual. So that's just something to think about the next time we take communion. That also refers, the breaking of bread also refers to setting and eating together. When you sit down and have a meal with someone, it gives you a chance to bond with that person. Have you? I mean, do you want to sit down and eat a meal with someone that you really don't care about? A lot of times, I mean, you won't even you won't even do that. If, you know, you go to a restaurant. It's like you don't know the person. You're not going to sit there. It's just you. You're going to find your own little table over there by yourself. But as we eat together, we get to bond with that person. You get to know that person more. You get a chance to talk to that person one on one. And I've already said this. I've got, you know, the more that we look at the early church, the more I see our, our church, HFLC, the Bible believers, resembles the church in the book of Acts. They also broke bread in their homes and ate together. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Jimmy says something about dinner for eight. Miss Dolores right there. Going in, bread, going in homes and breaking bread together. The New Testament church, in action. That's what we are. Also, they devoted, they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer is one of the most powerful and fulfilling responsibilities of a Christian. We can talk to God and He listens. We're talking to the Creator of the universe and He actually is listening to us. What is prayer? Prayer is conversation with God. And remember, when, we, when we're in conversation, conversation is not just us talking all the time, conversation is also us listening. When we sit there, we we make our request to God, then as we sit there and listen, that's when he actually can move even more in our life is when we're quiet, not when we're just over talking him because he's going to come to us in what the small, still voice as he did Elijah. Prayer doesn't change what what God has purposed to do. It's the means by which he accomplishes his end. Prayer is in a large part a matter of creating ourselves a right attitude with respect to God's will. Prayer helps us to better understand God's will. Prayer is not so much getting God to do our will. It is in demonstrating that we are concerned about what God's will is. What's part, what's part of the Lord's prayer? Said, Thy will be done on earth as it is on heaven. That's it. And as we do that, as we, as we, as we see God's face, then we're going to get close. And we're going to find what His will is. And that's actually going to transform our life and mold our heart more to His will. Also, as we look, skip back to 1 Corinthians 26, 12, 26 says, If one part suffers, every part of the body suffers with it. If part of your body aches or hurts, what happens? Your whole body hurts. I mean, you can stump your toe or hit your finger. It's like you don't feel good at all. That's the same way it is with the body of Christ. The body of Christ around us, the people sitting next to you, the people sitting across from you, If and when you're going through hurts, understand you're a part of the body, this body, and that we hurt right along with you. It's not just you that hurt. It's it's us as a group that hurts. And when we have prayer service, what's one thing we do? We ask if anyone has any other needs to raise your hand. That's something because we do that because that's part of the body ministry right there. God wants us to reach out. He wants us to have others reach out to us, but it also gives others an opportunity to go and pray for someone. And it's very important that you do that. And just remember when you're looking around and see that, if God has, when God has, things that God has done in your life in the past, just go up and pray for, pray for that person, and knowing with the faith that's in your heart that God has put there, that he, what He's done for you, He can also do for that person. He can see them through also. Galatians 6 2 says what? Tells us to carry, bear one another's burdens. Now, 20, verse 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part. Let's go back to Acts, the second chapter. I can tell you, I and mean, we just skip it around. As they say, chasing rabbits every now and then. All right. Acts, chapter 2, verse 47 says, And the Lord added to the number daily those that were being saved. Over the last several weeks, God has been moving in this church. I mean, it's been an increase. Was it Wednesday night? I think Pastor P had said, that there have been forty to fifty new people come in the last few weeks. I mean, we've been having to move the petitions for people to, to sit in the back back there. People are being saved, people lives are being changed, and that's the New Testament church. Verse 47 says, And the Lord added daily, God has been blessing this church. But let's go back to Acts the second chapter. Let's look at verse forty one. What does that say? Let me flip over there real quick, like. Verse 41 says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number daily. Those who accepted his message, what? what? they followed the example of Jesus' example in Matthew, the third chapter. They were baptized in water. Matthew three thirteen says, beginning with 13 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to and do you come to me? Jesus replied, "Let it be now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness." Then Jesus consented. Then John consented. Rather, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And the voice from heaven said, "This is my Son, whom, well, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased." When we do baptism, water baptism, what is it? It's, it's an outward sign of just what Jesus has already done inside of our life, what he's already done to our heart. It's just letting the world see and those around us just acknowledging to them that, look, you know, he's already changed my heart. Now, I just want you to see what he's done to me. Now, I don't know how many was here last fall, but we actually had bapti- water baptism. And I think there was, I'm not, and there was a pool set up outside. I think there was over over 20 More than 20, probably over 30, that was actually baptized out there after a Sunday morning service. And I was thinking about this. And what's the last part of verse 41 said? It said, And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Oh, I'm sorry. It said, And there were about 3,000 added to their number that day. Can you imagine when we allow God to move, when we just totally submit to the Holy Spirit and just let Him work through us? 3,000. Nancy, go ahead and tell Pastor Pete you've got to get a big swimming pool to put out there. You've <laughs> got to get wetsuits to put on. Because can you imagine that? 3,000 being saved and being baptized like that. I mean, that, that, that would be an awful service right there. I mean, an awesome service right there. That, not awful. An awesome. An, uh, <laughs> Did you open the water for me? <laughs> that's an awfully long service, that's for sure. There's no doubt about that. All right. All right. Roxanne. As we get ready to close this morning, I want us to think about how we're going to represent Christ when we go outside the doors. Earlier, I talked about the college football player who practices, what does he practice? 20 plus hours a week for just his, the small time frame that he's actually in the game right there. On the other hand, we practice, we come to church possibly four hours a week for a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week battle. But you know what? But The battle we go through, we have Jesus on our side. He's our strength. He's the one that's going to see us through. Many sports teams have a sign over the door as they're leaving the locker room there and getting ready to enter the field for the game. Each player touches a sign. Have, I mean, you've, have you seen that before? As the players are going out, they slap the sign on the way out of the locker room or leaving out of the tunnel going to the game. And what they're doing, they, as the player touches that, that's giving him the inspiration for that game right there. This is this is a, this is his personal affirmation. This is something that he's got in his mind. He's also got in his heart that he knows what he's going to do when he goes out there. He's going to see that through. He's going to t- he's already taken that to heart, but he's going out now to be on the field to do that. It's entered his subconscious and become a part of him. Wednesday, I was at I was, I was at a funeral Wednesday. And at the end of the funeral, I was there by the graveside. And there this one gentleman, I don't know his name, never seen him before. He and I were talking about this lady. And, you know, I was telling him, you know, all the things I'd heard that she had done. And he was telling me a story about how that several years ago that she had actually knitted over 200 pair of, of house shoes for the veterans up at the, the veterans home in Jackson. And so he and I were talking. I said, you know, uh, what, you know, just imagine what the world would be like if there were more people like her that actually, you know, the the lives that would be touched that. If more people do things like that, you know, there that, that would be like. her And you know, one thing he said that really struck with me, I, and he, his comment was, he, he said, "She does more things on accident than most people do on purpose." And I said, "That that's an awesome statement to say about someone." And can we just let the Word of God become our affirmation, become in our heart that we can actually do things? Just let Him just flow through us accidentally without trying to do it. And may, as we let Him just flow through us accidentally. Then that's when we're going to make an impact because what's happened then, he's permeated our heart and he's become a part of us that, that we can't even, we don't even know what's happening, but it just happens. It just happens. Have you ever looked at the words over the back door as you leave out the door here? Do you know there are words over the back door back there? The words actually say, now it's my time. As you walk out, think about that. It's your time now. It's your time to go out. It's your time to actually impact the world for Jesus. It's your time for you to take the gospel that He's given you, that He's put in your heart, and now for for you as you're going, for everyone that's in in your vicinity, it's in your Jerusalem for you to impact them, for you to touch them, to change them, to let them see Jesus in your life, to let Him work through you. Can we stand?
0: We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heartsease Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at two two five two seven four one six oh seven or email us at pastor at hflc us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.